everybody in this room can probably identify with what I'm about to say. If you can't, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying that most people in the room, you're going to be able to. Everybody in this room has had that car. And when I say that car, it was the car that did two things for you, and it was kind of awkward. Number one, it brought you closer to Jesus. And number two, it took you backwards in your walk with Jesus. Let me explain. It took you closer to Jesus because every time you got in that car, it took, it, it took you, your prayers to get it started. It, you, you prayed over that car. Um, I had a car that literally I was charismatic for a while. I anointed it with oil, two quarts. Every time I, I started, I, I just, it was that car. I, it, it improved my prayer life. But on the flip side, it was also the car that caused you to say words that are not in the Bible. Like it caused you to confess and repent. Like it took you backwards in your walk with Christ because um, you would just be driving down the road. And this happened to me and my car in the middle of the road just decided I'm not working anymore. And it went on strike. And I still don't know what happened to it. And cars for me, like some of you guys and, and even some of you ladies, you know car language, you know car stuff. If I ever pass you, if I've walked past you in the parking lot and you have the hood up on your car, I'm not going to stop and talk. You know why? I'll do you absolutely no good. Because you'll be like, what do you think, Pastor P? And I'll be like, looks bad. I don't even know if the engine's there, okay? I'm the, I've got a friend that just got a Tesla, and he was like, look at this. And he opened up the, I was like, looks awesome. Like, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even catch it at first. So I'm horrible with cars. So with all that in mind, years ago, I bought that car. Now, I excel, so I've had several of those cars. But I bought that car from a shady car lot in Greenville, South Carolina. My credit was bad. And I could afford the payments. That's all I knew. It was a, and, and this car, this car was manufactured in the pits of hell. Because, and, and I had to drive it. So after I had it a few months, I took it to the shop. And the guy came out, forgot what his name was, forgot what shop it was. But he was like, you're going to need two front tires. And I was like, well, I mean, how, how bad is it? He goes, man, it's so bad you can see the steel. I was like, there's, there's steel in tires? I know. He's like, come here and look. And I looked, and sure enough, there was steel. I was like, but, I mean, is that bad? He goes, yeah, it's bad, but, like, if one of them blows out, your car just start turning flips, probably kill you. <laughs> Let's get that fixed then, all right? Let's go. So we put two front tires on it, and I couldn't afford them, but I paid, like, payments of 87% interest for the next 87 years, and we got that taken care of. So drive it for about six months, took it back to the shop. He comes back out and goes, hey, man. You're going to need two front tires. I was like, man, hey, Bob, we've, we've had this conversation before. Um, I just put two front tires on it. Go, I know, but you can see steel. I'm like, what are you doing to my tires, Bob? So I go, look, sure enough, you see. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go somewhere else. So I went to another guy's shop. He's actually a friend of mine, where I should have gone in the first place. And I said, listen, I, I, listen I, I use car language. I walked in. I said, hey, man, I got a problem with my, with my tires. He's, I said, he said, what? I said, you can see the steel. He went, that's not good. I was like, I know. That's all I knew. So, so he takes it and he puts it on him. He said, I got to put it on the machine. I didn't know what the machine was, but I was like, yes, put it on the machine. He comes back out and says, found your problem. Your front end's out, your front end's out of line. I was like, oh, yeah, man, that's bad. Isn't it? He said, yeah. He said, he said uh, has your car been... Pulling to the, to the right a little bit? <laughs> to be honest, I drove the car like this most of the time. I felt like I was fighting, you know? I was like, that's not normal? He's like, no, that's not normal. <laughs> okay, well, go ahead and put it on the machine. Let's get it fixed. And, and he got the car aligned. And once he got the car aligned, it ran. I mean, I didn't have to put two new tires on it every six months. And for me, since that time, alignment has been really important. I want to make sure that the front end is aligned so I don't wear out tires. And once you get that front end aligned on your car, it, it doesn't cost as much as far as tires go. Am I right? Does anybody, has anybody ever had this experience? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so alignment is essential for driving, and it's also essential for us spiritually. In fact, the question that I want you to answer for yourself today, whether you're in the room or watching online, is this. Do I want to be in alignment with the assignment God has on my life? It's a great question. Do I want to be in alignment with the assignment 
God has on my life. Now let me pause real quick and just say, you have an assignment on your life. God has a specific purpose for each and every one of us. It's easy to look at other people, somebody like Philip who's up here and he's playing the guitar and he's leading the worship and obviously God has an assignment for him, but that couldn't be true for me. That's what some of us think and and it is true. We talked about last week how every single one of us in this room, you're a miracle. You're literally a walking miracle. How God intricately designed each and every one of us on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And so there absolutely is an assignment on your life. But if we want to be in alignment with that assignment, then we got to work through this thing called church hurt. Now, I'm not even going to ask for a show of hands on who has been church hurt. Because if you don't raise your hand, you haven't been to church. Every church on the planet, if you give them enough time, even this church will hurt you. You know why? Because churches are full of broken people. So if we want to get in alignment with God's assignment on our life, then we got to do, um, got to do about five things. And I'm preaching on a text today. I'm super excited about this text because I've never preached on this text before. Number one, we must have a connection with Jesus and his church. We must have a connection with Jesus and his church. You ever been somewhere and not felt welcome? Mm-hmm. My, my very first college football game ever, my dad, it was Clemson, Carolina, 1981, Clemson won. Um, but, but my dad bought tickets from a man who was um, a part of the, you know how Clemson's got Ipte? Um, the the, the Ip, Ip, Ipte and you give money to Ipte and you get better tickets. South Carolina's got one of those programs called Hope We Win Someday. Um, and so he gave to Hope We Win Someday and, and, and he gave a lot of money to them. And so we got tickets in the middle of the hardcore South Carolina fan base. So I go rolling in. I'm my 10-year-old self. I got my big phone number one finger. And I'm dressed in all orange. And, and they kept giving me a finger that was not the same finger that was on my number one finger. I didn't feel welcome. You know what I'm saying? I looked around, and they weren't. And they started talking to me. Then my dad had a beer 12, about got in a fight. It was, it was amazing. But the point is, I did not feel welcome in that place. And all of us have been in that place where we did not feel that we were welcome. We looked around and said, I don't think people want me here. That's exactly what's about to happen in this story um, in, in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says this. One of the Pharisees, anytime you see those, those are the bad guys in Scripture. Who, they thought they were the good guys, but they actually were the bad guys. In fact, we're going to talk about them tonight I think we, because some of us have more in common than we'd like to have. But anyway, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, pause. How would you like for that to be your name? We don't even get like Jennifer or Mary. We get certain immoral woman. Like, you want that on your name tag? Hello, my name is Certain Immoral Woman. Oh, read about you and Luke. Like, that's weird, but isn't it funny that some people aren't known by their name, they're known by their sin? Oh, there's the divorced person. There's the addict. There's the per- they're, they're known by their sin, and at the end of the day, when people are always calling you by what you do rather than who you are, you don't feel welcome. But here's what's fascinating. This immoral woman from that city heard she, he was eating there. She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping her tears on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This is scandalous. The Pharisees were having a dinner party and the town prostitute finds out that Jesus is there, busts down the door, and begins to obvi- like worship him in ways that none of them have ever worshipped him before. This was scandalous. Now, let me tell you something about this woman, this certain immoral woman. 
she was not welcome at the temple. You couldn't go to the temple when you lived a lifestyle like she lived because in order to go to the temple, you had to go through certain sacrifices and you had to do all this stuff and she wasn't welcome at the temple. She wasn't welcome at the local tabernacle because people like her didn't go to tabernacle because of the lifestyle that she lived. She wasn't welcome at the Pharisees' Bible study gathering. She couldn't go and hang out with the religious people. She wasn't welcome. Why? Because of her lifestyle. So the woman who wasn't welcome at the temple, she wasn't welcome in the tabernacle, she wasn't welcome at the Bible study, felt welcome with Jesus. That's the goal for our church. I don't know about every other church, but the one thing I know is I pray every single Sunday that we would experience the presence of Jesus in this place because if we experience the presence of Jesus, then people, all people, no matter what we've done or what we're going through, will feel welcome, and that's my heart for this church. In fact, the vision... The vision for this church, and some of you probably already filled this out, is Second Chance Church is a church where people, all people, experience the presence of Jesus every single week. Because here's what I know about the presence of Jesus. Over time, we can't be in his presence and stay the same. He changes us. He will change you. But to get past that, we've got to get past some church hurt. Now, there are people in this room, you've been church hurt. In fact, you might, be, you might be watching online, and the only reason you're watching online is because you've been church hurt at a physical location somewhere. Church hurt is, church hurt is the person that your church told you they were going to stand by you no matter what, and they did until you got a divorce, and then they abandoned you. Church hurt is the person where you were volunteering in a certain area, and you volunteered for a long time, but then... You kind of did some things you know you shouldn't have done or you kind of went down a path you know you shouldn't have gone down and they told you you can't volunteer anymore. But they still cashed your tithe check. That's church hurt. Church hurt is the church that told you they are going to celebrate the fact that you were getting over your addiction, but when you relapsed, they turned their back on you. That's church hurt. Every single person in this room has experienced church hurt, and some of us have even been a part of church hurt for somebody else. It, it's, it's, it just happens. But it's not a reason to disconnect from the church. Let me, let me go through the levels, and then let me circle back around to what I just said. When it comes to involvement in the church, there's certain, certain levels. And the deeper you go, the more likely you are to get hurt. So let's just start out easy. Let's start out level one, the casual attender. You're the casual attender. You're the casual attender. Now, y'all know me. I don't, don't think I'm trying to shame anybody. I'm just going to talk about who people are. And if the shoe fits, wear it. The casual attender. And you say, Perry, don't, they're not here. Not today, because it's not Christmas, it's not Easter, and we're not giving away t-shirts. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad, I'm not making fun of them, I'm glad they show up and get their little free t-shirt and wear it around and love my church. Um, but, I, but they're the casual tender. The casual tender, let me, let me just get real specific, and it'll get real tense in the room. And I'm not my, meaning, yeah, I actually do. I wanted to get tense in the room. I want everybody to feel this. Everybody ready to feel this? The casual tender is the person right now sitting watching online, but you won't come to a public building. And I'm not talking about the people in Columbia or Myrtle Beach or um, Greenville, because I, I know I'm talking about the people that live in Anderson. And COVID's not an excuse because you went to the Clemson football game last weekend. And there were 80,000 people there. It was outside. There were 80,000 people there. I'm not being mean. But some people, and let me just get real specific. Some of you watching online told me years ago, if you ever, ever, ever start a church again, I'll be there every Sunday and you haven't been here in a year. I'm not mad at you. I'm just saying at the end of the day, you got to decide if this is where you want to be. Because, especially if you were here last week, sometimes if you ain't in the room, it's just not the same. But 
the reason, I'm not mad about it, the reason you're a casual attender is because you got hurt. And it's hard to go back. I get that. I get that. But some people move from casual tender to regular tender. Now, regular tender means you're here on a regular basis. Three out of four Sundays, four out of four Sundays, or if Clemson don't have a late game, you're here. You're, you're, you're here. At, you're physically here in the building. And, and it's kind of funny. You can tell when people go from a casual tender to a regular tender because when I see them in public, the casual tenders pull me aside and they go, hey, come here. It's a good message Sunday. Thank you. Why are we whispering? And they won't tell me the truth, but if they could, they would say, I don't want other people to know I'm watching you. <laughs> but regular center, you're here every week, and, and man, you show up, and you, you love this church, and, and, and you show up, and you're supportive. Yeah, it, regular tender is somebody that puts the butt in a seat. That's regular tender. The, the third... But, but you're more likely to get hurt here than you are here. If you get hurt here at casual tender, if you get hurt here, you woke up wanting to be offended. And they're out there all over Facebook. <laughs> Level three are the people that serve. Man, I love you people. You people are the reason our church is able to function every week. I tell people all the time, if our staff didn't show up one Sunday, we'd be okay. If our volunteers didn't show up, we'd be screwed. There are people in this church you serve every single week, and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. And also, I want to tell you that you are, like, whatever church you're called to be a part of, you're called to serve there. And I'm not going to try to guilt anybody. I'm just telling you, at the end of the day, if you're not serving, you're missing out. Because Jesus does something special in and through you when you begin to serve. Now, here's my question, and I'm just, I'm just going to ask the question. You're the one that needs to answer. If you're here, what's keeping you from going here? Y'all feel the tension? Like if you're gonna wear the church, if you're gonna wear the shirt that says, I love my church, do you? I mean, let's 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 get involved. But now, now this is scary because you can get hurt here. If you volunteer, somebody's gonna hurt your feelings. It happens. <laughs> Ricky, we'll talk later. We'll be all right. Still, we'll get you through it, all right? my boy Ricky I'm working with him <laughs> but the, you got one of these cards in your seat back pocket right in front of you you got one of these cards you got one you know where most of you put candy wrappers and I know because they cleaned them out last week and you put y'all 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 that's nasty y'all need to quit <laughs> fill, get this card and fill it out right now just get it fill it out right now and let's 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 get started serving you can drop it we've got people at, at the doors and you can just drop it in the bucket you should just fill it out let's do it let's do it, let's do it. Are, do, and and if you don't just put the shirt up for a little while I should just end it right there huh <laughs> and then the the level four is, is give. It, this is this is I mean this is where people decide this is the place where I'm going to worship God with my money. I'm going to put Him first with my money. I'm going to put Him first in my finances. And for those of you that give, thank you so much. You're absolutely making a difference. Let me pause. I forgot to say this. Let me pause. That, like like if you want to, if the biggest area of need we have right now for people to serve is is our kids area. Many people serve with kids. Kids scare me. They scare me too. Now, understand, not just anybody can serve with kids. If you serve with kids, you're going to have to go through a background check, and you're going to have to go through an interview. We're, we're serious. But our children's ministry is growing like crazy. So get a card, fill it out. And then for those of you to give, um, thank you. Now, here's the deal. The, the, the deeper you go, the more likely you are to get hurt. That's why some people stop right here, because, because they don't want to get hurt. But, but at the end of the day, th this is what people say. Well, here's the deal, Perry. I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. Here's the deal. If you love Jesus, the church is not an option. If you came up to me and said, Perry, I love you, 
but I don't like your wife very much. I'm all, you're going to get a throat punch. <laughs> and in this church, I won't get fired. I'll get a raise. Like, I, like it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me at all. We, we can just go anytime. I, I, that's not an option. Well, the church is the bride of Christ. And when I got church hurt, and by the way, for those of you, I've been church hurt. You really want to compare church hurt stories? I mean, you want to go there? Every church I've been a part of, including this church, has hurt me. I mean, we've all been church hurt, but here's the deal. At the end of the day, when, when my biggest church hurt, when, when my public church hurt happened to me, I had to make a decision. Now, following Jesus was never in question. I love Jesus. Jesus saved me. He's changed my life. But when I really boiled it down, there's one thing, only one thing, in the scriptures that Jesus promised that he would build and never abandon, and it was his church. And if the church mattered to Jesus, then the church has to matter to those of us that say we're followers of Jesus. Which leads to number two. Number two is we must be willing to look in the mirror instead of out the window. We must be willing to look in the mirror instead of out the window. Question. How much time did you spend looking in the mirror this morning before you came to church? It's not a bad thing. How many of y'all looked in the mirror before you came to church? See, not everybody raised your hand, and let me help you. It's obvious. <laughs> it's obvious you did not look in the mirror. Don't judge me. There's a difference between judging and telling the truth. I look in the mirror probably for about like four or five minutes every Sunday morning. I got to make sure after I brush my teeth, you know, those things right here, get those corner things, got to make sure I got those out. Some of y'all feeling right now. I just saw y'all do it. See, you should have looked in the mirror. Now I put some stuff in my hair and I just mess it all up. Now Shannon, my wife, she and the mirror get along great. Like she'll change. She's like, how's this look? And I'll be like, it looks great. You think I should change? No, it looks great. She changes. Uh, which belt do you like? I like that one. She gets the other one. But she looks in the mirror. She has to look in the mirror. And the more time you spend looking in the mirror, the more time you can improve yourself, right? Thank you very much. I just needed something, okay? So the reason I'm saying that is because James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in the book of James that the word of God, Scripture, is like a mirror, that we look into the mirror and we see something needs to change. Because if you look in the mirror and you got like, toothpaste all over your face and your hair's all messed up, you don't go, huh, interesting. And no, you do something about it. The mirror is a reflection. You do something about it. The problem, the reason a lot of church hurt occurs is because a lot of people take the Bible and instead of looking at it as a mirror, they use it as a window to judge other people. Amen. And let me just say this. It's incredibly difficult to judge somebody when you got your eyes on Jesus. This is what happens. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, when you get to the point where you can question Jesus, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. As if he wasn't. Isn't this crazy? He was looking through the window and not looking in the mirror. And that's a problem with religious people. Re religious people don't understand that the word of God wasn't given to us to stand on a platform and scream at people. It was given to us for us to look and say, God, change what needs to change in me. I, I, I see that, like, for example, the Pharisees. Pharisees had the Old Testament memorized, memorized. And they would have known the passage of Scripture where um, it's written in Psalm chapter 14, verse 3. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. The problem was this Pharisee had taken that verse, and instead of looking through the mirror, he looked through the window to judge somebody else. And all of us have had this, like you've had Bible bombs thrown at you, have you not? Like you got divorced. And they hit you with a verse of Malachi. 
The one in Malachi 3 where God says, I hate divorce. You've been hit with that one, haven't you? People hit you. I hate you. God said, I hate divorce. And you, got, and you feel like that God hates you. Now, here's what's funny about that. The people that quote that verse don't know that there's also a passage in Proverbs chapter 6 where it says there's seven things that God hates, and the first thing that he lists is this thing called pride. And you'll meet people occasionally that say, all sin's the same in the sight of God. I don't think so. I think pride's the number one sin because it's the sin that got Satan kicked out of heaven. God did not catch Satan looking at porn on his iPad. It was pride. And pride is the thing that, I mean, you get people throwing Bible bombs at you, like hypothetically. Leviticus 19 says you're not supposed to get a tattoo. I might have had that. Y'all like my new tattoo? I got one. This week, I'm getting another one in two weeks. It's going to be awesome. Only half the people clap. <laughs> I love it when people quote me that verse because I'm like, how much do you know about the book of Leviticus? Like in that same chapter, it says you shouldn't wear clothing made of two different types of cloth. So if you're wearing a cotton poly blend, psh, you are on the Hell Express, my friend. <laughs> woo, woo! <laughs> you got to watch people that are trying to throw Scripture at you not to build you up, but to tear you down. I mean, that's, that's the church hurt thing. Which, which leads to point number three, and point number three is this. We must be willing to receive what Jesus is saying to us. Like if we really want to get in alignment with the assignment that Jesus has on our life, we must be willing to listen to what Jesus wants to say to us. How many of you have ever sent a text message to somebody and realized you sent it to the wrong person? Yeah, I was, sitting, I was sitting with a group of people the other day, and I got, I got a text from somebody I hadn't heard from in years. I looked, I was like, oh, my gosh, I hadn't heard from this guy in years. I pulled it up. It was a text about me, <laughs> not to me. So I texted him back. I ain't going to tell you all what I said. <laughs> it's not nice. I just called him out. He said, anyway, and I've, but I've done it too. Like I text my wife sometimes. You ever text your wife or your girlfriend? Sweet text. You, now, you got certain contexts. You got your G-rated text. Then you got your PG text. Then you got your R text. And then you got your NC-17 text. So by God's grace and by his mercy, one day I sent her a G-rated text. It was just really sweet, building her up and whatever, just great. Two minutes later, I got a text back from my daughter. <laughs> Think you meant to send this to Shannon. <laughs> You're right. And I thank God that it was a G-rated text, all right? But, but here's, here's the deal when it comes to hearing the word of God. Sometimes we get more obsessed with what God wants to say to somebody else rather than what God wants to say to us. We do. And we see this in this text where Jesus says, um, Jesus answered his thoughts, which that's, if you're the Pharisee, you feel kind of called out in the moment. He, Jesus, he said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Notice he did not say, I have something to say to the immoral woman. That's who we would expect Jesus to talk to, right? No, no, no. He said, Simon, I got something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. In other words, I got something to say to you. When we come to church, anytime we come to church, we should have open hands, open heart. Jesus, what is it? that you want to say 
to me? What is it that you want to speak into me? What is it that you want to tell me? And the problem happens, church hurt happens, when we're sitting in a message and it's being preached and we're going, I hope Bob's hearing this. Bob's messed up. It's when you're looking at your spouse or you're not looking at your spouse, but you're throwing the elbow. You know nobody has ever got saved because of that elbow? Let me help you with that elbow. You're not pushing him towards Jesus. You're pushing him farther away. I did say him because normally it's the woman throwing the elbow. I've never talked to a man. How'd you come to Jesus? My wife nagged me to death. Oh, wow, yeah, nagged you right into the kingdom. (laughs) By the way, if you ever get in an argument with your spouse after a church service and you quote what I said, you missed the point. I'm not giving you bombs to throw at your spouse. At the end of the day, our heart should be Jesus. What do you want to say to me? What do you want to work out in my life? What do you want to change in my life? How do you want me to live? what's, What's my next step, Jesus? When we, this is the time in the message when we get incredibly selfish and say, Jesus, I want you to feed me, to nourish me, to to rebuke me or encourage me or whatever you got to do. But Jesus, I want to hear your word because when we hear the word of Jesus and it does something in our own hearts, it becomes incredibly difficult to become judgmental of other people. Amen. It really does. So Jesus is like, I got something I want to I say to you, which leads to number four. We must understand that all of us need forgiveness. I got two amens out of that, which is better than the 915. I didn't get any, nothing, nothing. We all need forgiveness. Set y'all up again. Screwed it up. I just set y'all up again. Somebody can, no, 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 no. I don't need, I don't need it. I don't need it because I, I, I was hanging out with a group of pastors doing a um, speaking, of, I don't get asked to speak to a bunch of pastors anymore. So, but it's rare. It's okay. It's fine. I'd rather speak here. Um, but I was speaking to a group of pastors, and I don't think I'm gonna get asked back because I got in a little trouble. But I just answered the question they asked me. They said, "Pastor Perry," which that's a problem because if you don't call me Pastor P, then I know that we're not on. We, I mean, we're not on the same. They said, Pastor Perry, we have a question for you. I was on a panel. Love panels. This was the question. Pastor Perry, would you baptize a gay person in your church? And as soon as the question was asked, group of pastors, all the air just went out of the room. You could have heard a rat fart in that place. I mean, it was like (laughs) all the eyes. You ever felt like everybody's staring at you in the moment? And I knew what it was. It was a setup. I knew exactly what it was. It was a setup. I said, let me ask you a question. I need to ask you a question before I answer your question. He said, that's fair. I said, said gay person, did they just receive Christ? He said, yes. I said, then I'll baptize them. (laughs) He became angry. Pointed his finger. Homosexuality is a sin. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You didn't ask me about homosexuality. That wasn't the question. Your question was, would I baptize a gay person? And the answer is yes. He said, but you can't, you can't do that because they're still gay. I'm like, is that your reasoning? Are you going to stick with that line? Are you going to stick with that? Because if you're going to stick with that, my pastor shouldn't have baptized me. And he went, you gay? <laughs> I said, nope, I'm not. But when I got saved and then got baptized, I was obese. Oh, oh, no amens there. No, it got, it got crickets, didn't. Only in the South can obese people look at gay people and say, you need to get your life right.
There's a lot of pastors that won't talk about it. <laughs> they won't talk about it. And I, don't, I know why, because I've seen their, their picture on Facebook. Isn't it funny they call it Facebook? They don't call it soul book. Because we, we like to put on a good face, but we don't talk about our soul. Isn't it funny how judgmental people can get on Facebook? Let me ask you a question. How judgmental would you be if all of your sins became public tomorrow? Just a question. Like, like if, if you're going to stick to that whole, I can't baptize people if they're still gay, then my God, what are you going to do about the gossipers in your church? That's a bigger problem. I mean, if you got to wait on Thelma to stop gossiping, Thelma's never getting baptized. Let's just be honest right now. The reason I bring this up is, is, is all of us need forgiveness. All of us need forgiveness. Every single person in this room, we need forgiveness. The ground at the cross is level. And I'm sick and tired of religious people climbing two-foot ladders and thinking they've accomplished something. All of us need the grace of God. The grace of God does not give us permission to look down on other people. The grace of God helps us understand we got to get our own stuff right. This is how Jesus addresses it. Now, watch this. Jesus tells a story. He's always telling stories. People are like, oh, my God, why can't he just say something? He's telling a story. He tells a story. Here we go. Told him this story. A man loaned money to two people. By the way, if you got somebody in your life you want to get rid of them, loan them money. <laughs> 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. Now, I don't know what that equates to in modern dollars, but I'm sure it's a, it's a lot. It's a lot of money. Watch this. But neither of them could repay him. So the person that got 50 and the person that got 500, neither could repay. So they borrowed money they can't repay. <laughs> kind of like our government, right? I mean, borrow money they can't, well, our grandkids are going to pay for it eventually. So he kindly forgave them both. He forgave them both. 50 and 500, forgave them both. He didn't forgive the 50 and not the 500 or vice versa. He forgave them both. Canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said, and I think he said it with a smile on his face. Watch this. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. Let me pause. Jesus did not minimize sin. Sin is serious. If we let it go in our lives uncontrolled, it will absolutely shipwreck us. Jesus acknowledges her sins are many. He did not dismiss her sins. He forgave them. Her sins and they are many, let's just be honest. There are many have been forgiven. Let me ask you a question. Did she ask for forgiveness? No. Her actions demonstrated. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees knew the scriptures. The prostitute knew Jesus. You can know the scriptures and not know Jesus. It's happening in this story, Ross says. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Now, this was a tongue-in-cheek statement because nobody has ever been forgiven little. We just think we have. But the same amount of grace it takes to save the prostitute is the same amount of grace it takes to save the Pharisee. Nobody's ever been forgiven little. All of us desperately need the grace of God. 
Which leads to point number five. Point number five is this. We must understand that Jesus wants to use his church to speak peace, not to punish. We must understand that Jesus wants to use his church to speak peace, not to punish. I love conversations. I love questions. Questions don't bother me about our church. But you know you can, you can tell the kind of person somebody is by the questions they ask. So at the other building, I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating again. At the other building, I'll call it the Barbaritos building, back when we were down the road at the Barbaritos building. I had somebody come up to me and say, oh, i got a question for you. I said, yes, sir. It's a guy. He hadn't been back since our exchange because his question you can always tell. He said, what do y'all do about church discipline around here? <laughs> you're going you're gonna to talk to me about church discipline. <laughs> this is when I wish I'd have had a video guy with me, just a video camera or something. I asked him, I said, well, I said, it's real simple, sir. I said, what, what, what do you think we should do? I think we ought to do it like Matthew 18, like Jesus said. I said, walk me through what you would do. You go to the person one-on-one. You confront them about their sin. If they don't repent, you take somebody else with you. You just gang up on them. He didn't say that, but that's what you do. And then that don't happen, and you bring them in front of the church. I said, so literally, like you think we ought to bring people on stage and say, this is Bob. (laughs) Bob this weekend smoked weed and hooked up with a prostitute. We told him he shouldn't do it. He's still doing it. Let me ask you a question. Is Bob coming back? Mm-mm. Is anybody in the church that's struggling with sin ever going to ask for help? Mm-mm. They're going with Bob. <laughs> they probably did what Bob did. They just didn't get caught. So I told him, I said, well, that is a way to approach it. But we do it different here at Second Chance. We do it like Jesus did in Luke 15 with the prodigal son. He said, what do you mean? I said, it's real simple. I said, when the prodigal son went away and blew up his life, that, that, was, that was enough. And when he came back home, he didn't need somebody to speak truth into him because he already knew the truth. He had blown up his life. What did the father do? The father didn't put him in time out. The father runs to him, throws a party, kills the fattened calf, and celebrates. So instead of bringing people up on stage and shaming them, We like to throw a party when prodigals come home. That's how we deal with church discipline. Now, he hasn't been back. But, man, that's okay. That's okay. Because at the end of the day, I want people to experience the peace of God in this church, not to feel like they're punished. Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. That's peace. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Well, he's the son of God. That's who he is. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. How many people do you think would associate the word peace with church? Now, it's going to feel tense sometimes because if the Holy Spirit speaks into us, he is going to convict us of sin. But if you think about that to its fullest logical extent, that's even peaceful because he loves us enough to point out what's wrong and he's going to guide us to help us get what's wrong and turn it into what is right. I want us to be the church that no matter what happened to you on Saturday, you can walk into this place on Sunday and we are going to be here for you. You know where I learned this? You know where this really, really caught with me? It caught with me when I checked into rehab five years ago. A buddy of mine named Chris, who's a pastor in Tennessee, wrote a book, and he asked me for my permission to tell my story, and I gave him permission, and he wrote it down, and when he wrote it down, it blew my mind. 
And I wanted to share it with you. It's a little long, but this is the kind of church I want our church to be. Summed it up so well. He, he said a true friend shows up, period. They show up in the stadium in the front row with their face painted and a foam number one finger on their hand when it is your shining moment. But they also show up when you're face down in the bushes. They hand you their shirt to clean yourself up with. They don't remind you of where you went wrong or how they would have done it better. They just show up in the front row of the stadium, yes, but also in the courtroom at the police department and at rehab. A dear friend of mine who happened to be the pastor of one of the largest churches in America for over a decade started having problems. The stress of the problems, along with the pressure of leading a very large church, began to get to him. He started drinking and drinking too much at that. One day his board fired him as the lead pastor of the church because he had a drinking problem. Drinking was just a symptom of a much deeper problem, but that was the focus of the overseeing board and the reason they chose to let him go. Almost immediately after this happened, my friend flew across the country and checked himself into a rehab center. I talked to him a few times during his allotted weekly phone time. During one of the calls, he told me he was finally able to have visitors the following weekend, but only for a couple hours and only on a specific day. Ignorantly, I asked, or I said, oh, that's great. So some of your friends will be coming to visit. He answered, I doubt it. I doubt anyone will come. But I'm thankful that I made it this far. That's something to celebrate. At that moment, my heart broke. And I remembered that friends need to be there for friends. Here was this man who had loved and served the church for over a decade, who had tens of thousands attending every week to hear what he had prepared for them. And he didn't have one person who would show up and care for him in one of his darkest moments. Not one person to ask him how it was going or how he was feeling about adjusting to his life without leading a church and to try to work through all his problems. Not one person. It broke my heart. I told my wife that night I was buying a ticket and flying across the country to see him. Took a four-hour flight, then drove another two hours to rehab to have a one-hour conversation with him. Then I got back in the car and made the same trip back to Nashville. Once news spread in our circle, I had visited my friend. Several friends called me and said things like, be careful about being publicly associated with him. It won't look good. Well, this burned me up. Look good for who? Me? My reputation? My appearance that I am only there for people when they are at the top of their game? I don't get it. People mess up. Pastors mess up. It kills me that pastors tell the good news of God's grace every single week, but they get very little of it from others in return. I wonder if Jesus was worried about his reputation when he met with a woman at the well or the woman called in adultery. Being more concerned about how I look as your friend than being your friend makes me no friend at all. Before the trip, others told me, I'm so glad you're going to see him so you can speak truth into him. He needs someone to speak truth to him right now. I wasn't going to speak truth. I wasn't going to not speak truth. In all honesty, I didn't know the, anything about the situation, so I wasn't planning on speaking one way or the other. I was going to show him that he was not forgotten in his mess. They had people in his life who cared about him. I was going to tell him I was proud of him for making it this far in rehab. I was going to say nothing and simply sit with him, simply show up. Many friendships haven't always been easy for you. Many, maybe you're like me and have often felt like you have very little offer. You know what I've learned? I've learned that people don't really care how smart, successful, or popular you are. They just need someone who isn't afraid to show up. A friend will show up when they are leaning over the sick in the bathroom or handcuffed in the station or weeping at the graveside. We need courtroom friends more than we need stadium friends. This guy's visit changed my life because he showed up for me in my darkest moment. I want this church to be that kind of place for every one of us in this room. A place where when we need God, when we need God's grace, we can show up and know that we don't have people with judges' robes on, but people that'll put their arm around us 
call us friend and help us through the most difficult seasons in our life. That's the kind of church God's called us to be and that's the kind of church we're going to be. Would you stand for prayer? Father, I want to thank you today for every single person in this room. God, I want to thank you, God, that you love us enough to never give up on us. That there's not one person in this room or watching online that you've abandoned or forgotten or left alone. Father, I want to thank you, Jesus, that you and your amazing grace is the reason that this place exists. Father, I want to thank you that in you there is no one that is hopeless. There is no one that is forgotten. There is no one that is abandoned. There is no one that is thrown out. But you, Jesus, draw all people unto you. You change us by your amazing grace. We love you, Jesus, and we sing this from our hearts. Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace, for what you've done in this place and for what you're going to continue to do. With heads bowed and eyes closed, what's your next step? Is it to begin to attend here on a regular basis? Is it to begin to serve? Is it to begin to give? Is it to go to the care room today and have a conversation about being spiritually stuck and you just don't want to be stuck in that place anymore? Whatever your next step is, just right where you sit right now, right where you stand, commit, commit to Jesus to taking that next step. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you, you've never prayed to receive Christ. You've never asked Jesus into your life. And you know, listen, Jesus loves you, wants to save you, died for you, has a plan for you. He wants to come into your life and he wants to be with you for now and for always. And if you want to ask Jesus into your life today, then right where you stand, I want to invite you to pray. And, and just pray this in your heart. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and rose from the grave to pay for my sins. Come into my life and save me, Jesus. Take over. In your name I pray. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, do me a favor and shoot your hand up in the air right now. Shoot it up real high. Amen. So I can see it. Yes, yes. Amen. Hands all over the room. Leave it up, leave it up, leave it up. Father, I want to thank you for these hands. I want to thank you for these lives that you have changed. I want to thank you for the ways that you are working in this church and through our people. God, I want to thank you that your plans are greater, that your ways are higher, that you love us more than we could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you're a first-timer, please come back to the first-timers area and hang out. If you get a chance, come back tonight at 5 o'clock. Are you glad you came to church today? I'm glad you came. We'll see you guys next Sunday. God bless.